morning. Please rise and join with me as we read responsibly the call to worship. For thousands of years, God has been bringing people together. God has brought us together as imperfect people into this imperfect community. Come, let us praise God. Please be seated. We are filled with imperfections, but no matter our faults, God is ever present. God has not abandoned us, even when it seems like the darkest of our days. God is always there, watching and guiding, looking out for our well-being. Let us now confess some ways we prevent ourselves from following God. Lord, we confess the times we are convinced we are right when we are afraid to be right, when we mind our own business and neglect what you ask of us, when we refuse our, 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 when we refuse to even try, when we love ourselves too much and we don't love ourselves enough, when we give in to our temptations and we claim not to be tempted, when we try to run from you and we try to run from ourselves, 
we fail to forgive each other when we fail to forgive ourselves. Forgive us, we pray. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone, and a new life has begun. Hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Please be seated and we would like and we would like to invite the children to come forward. Have you ever thought about how trains absolutely have to follow their tracks? They can't just go off driving through a field or take a turn to the right or to the left if they feel like it. Nope, they have to stay on their tracks so they can't go anywhere. Why do, you, why do trains operate on tracks instead of being free to go anywhere? What's the benefit of the tracks? Following the tracks is kind of like following God's voice. When we listen to God's voice and follow his ways, he'll guide us in the right direction. Unlike trains, though, we are free to choose, but when we get off the tracks, we don't listen to God's voice. We'll end up getting stuck just like trains do. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for guiding us along the right path and for showing us the way we should go. Help us to always listen to your voice and follow your ways. In Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen.
Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give the light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that our hearts and minds may be opened. Amen. Please rise for the reading of our first lesson, which is Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Listen for God's word. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our second reading comes from James 2, 14 through 18. Listen again for God's word. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and eat your fill, and you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will, by my works, show you my faith. Our third reading comes from Romans 8:38. Listen for God's word. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. That's the uh, second lesson from James 2.18. As Christians, we are called to glorify God in our actions. In fact, the Westminster Confession says, man's chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So since we want to glorify him through our works, these actions should be joyful and not forced. Our actions also will not gain us a heavenly reward. Grace alone grants that. We should act on our faith in order to display God's love through our actions. And in order to further God's kingdom on earth, we have to be God's hands and feet. Martin Luther was hesitant to have James canonized because he was afraid that people would think they could earn salvation. He addressed James 2.18 saying, Good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. So if these actions are not founded in faith, they don't really mean anything. Martin Luther's motto was solo fide, which means faith alone. Martin Luther wasn't saying that good works aren't important, just that they won't secure his salvation. The Bible also says, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead, in James 2.17. So if we say that we love God, but do not show it through our actions, then where is our faith? Actions can exist without faith, but faith can't exist without actions. Good morning. start my homily with a quote from author Jan Martel. Doubt is useful. It keeps faith a living thing. After all, you cannot know the strength of your faith until it is tested. Today in Hollywood, uh, it is not considered very popular for celebrities to talk about religion. It's just not a very hot topic. Uh, However, there is an acclaimed American actor by the name of Rain Wilson, who consistently breaks this norm. Some of you might have heard of Rain Wilson. He is mainly known for his role of Dwight Schrute, the insane sidekick on the sitcom The Office. Uh, Wilson is popular for his nerdy and comedic style, bringing an intellectual twist to modern comedy. It's one of my personal favorites. Now, in an interview that I saw with Billboard.com, Wilson was asked about his unique religious upbringing. He revealed that growing up in Seattle, Washington, His parents raised him in the Baha'i faith. I I didn't know what that meant. And so I went on Wikipedia, which we all know is the most reliable resource out there, and uh, I found that um, being a part of the Baha'i faith is uh, a faith that encourages and, in fact, even requires knowledge of multiple religions and multiple faiths. In fact, uh, it's it's the belief that uh, there is a God above and that there's a different path for everyone. Kind of. Um, And Wilson explains in this interview that uh, growing up in the Baha'i faith, uh, the bookshelf at his parents' house had several copies and translations of the Bible, along with Qurans, a Torah, Hindu books, meditation books, science books, and many more. Whenever their home was visited by a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or anyone that wore a tie and rode on a bike, Uh, they were welcomed into their living room with open arms so they could listen to what these missionaries had to say. They basically grew up with uh, a mindset of, we're going to listen to what people have to say, what do other people believe. This open-minded upbringing, Wilson explains, allowed him to not only find the path to God through Christian principles, but also understand why he believes what he believes. That's kind of important to know, isn't it? We can say we believe in God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit all we want, but doesn't mean anything if we don't know why. If you're walking down the street and you happen to see someone and, and they ask you, oh, I, I, do you believe in God? And you say yes. And they say why? And you don't have an answer. I mean, what, is, what does that say about you and your church? Perhaps you believe because you were taken to a spiritual conference like Montreat, and you felt God's presence there. I've definitely felt that. Maybe you were taken to church by a friend for the first time a long time ago, and you made the conscious decision then to change your life and devote it to Jesus. Maybe you've just been spoon-fed Christianity your whole life, and it doesn't taste too bad, so you just decided to stick around out of habit. It can be difficult for those of us like myself who grow up in church to maintain a strong faith sometimes. Out of repetition, Worship becomes more like a mindless hobby, making our testimonies much weaker than those born-again Christians. 
Those people who were not believers but then became believers like later in life, they always have the good stories, you know, the people that say, oh, you know, this is what changed myself. When, whereas, you know, growing up in church, people say, you know, oh, well, that guy's grown up in church, so that's why he's a Christian. He hasn't had anything to test his faith. Why is that? Why are born-again Christians the ones with the good stories? I think the answer lies in the amount of doubt. There is more doubt found in the story of a born-again Christian because they were a non-believer and then made the conscious decision to follow Christ. We're constantly told that doubt is one of the ultimate sins, often reminded of the Doubting Thomas story. However, in his famous novel and acclaimed movie, Life of Pi, author Yann Martel states, doubt is useful. It keeps faith a living thing. After all, you cannot know the strength of your faith until it is tested. I think this is really true. Uh, in the community, there is an organization called Teen Advisors. I'm a part of it. I know Amelia's a part of it, and there might be some other kids in the room that are also. We had to hold a contract as a teen advisor to uh, abstain from drugs, tobacco, alcohol, and sexual activity for a year. Uh, I've been a teen advisor for three years. And until this past New Year's Eve, I was never given, given an opportunity to break my contract. Uh, no one ever offered me anything. I just lived a clean life. But then this past New Year's Eve, a friend of mine uh, at a party offered me a drink. And I was actually completely elated to finally say, no, thank you. I mean, it, it was, I was, they were wondering why I had such a big smile on my face. But I mean, <laughs> I just said no. And they respected it, uh, thankfully. But it really showed to me what good is a contract if you're not given an opportunity to break it? And then you prove your, uh, your commitment to the contract. And that's when I really felt like I was a true teen advisor, you know? I was given the, op the option, the temptation, and I was able to stand firm and say no. Our relationship with Christ is sort of the same thing. If we're not given opportunities to doubt or to test our faith, then do we really have faith at all? To doubt something requires thinking about it. The complacent churchgoer who never really listens to the sermons or never even thinks about God at all never doubts him, for he doesn't care enough to doubt. The infant that sits in the, in the children's sermon or the regular sermon doesn't doubt God because he doesn't know enough about God. Doubt requires extracurricular thought. And isn't that what God wants from us anyway? Furthermore, God does not discourage doubt. If he did, he would have given us all the answers to life's questions in the Bible. But there are Bible scholars who have read the holy text cover to cover several times that probably have even more questions than they had before they started. God leaves room for doubt by giving us free will. If we take the initiative to find him ourselves, we can show him the same kind of love he has already displayed for us. The best thing to do with doubt is to take it to prayer. We serve a God who loves tough questions because his answers arrive in new and indescribable ways. We know what we believe. We recite it every Sunday. And if you have doubt, don't think it's a bad thing. It can be a very healthy thing if you use it to fuel your faith life. We know what we believe, but knowing why makes it all the more real. Um, one thing I really enjoy doing is um, taking my dog on walks, and her name is Cookie, and I love her quite dearly, and I enjoy our times together. And Cookie has a habit of wanting to, of not wanting to go the way I try to take her, and she likes to grab the leash in her mouth and pull me in a different direction or to a complete stop. I used to think, oh, that's cute, but it never seemed like a big deal. Then I realized that other people found it, found it to be really amusing, so that got me thinking about it more. And then once I started thinking about it, I realized that we're a lot like Cookie, and um, we um, like to pretend that we're in control, and we try to pull away from the direction that God is trying to lead us. Um, I know this can be a big problem for me and for many others. We have trouble trusting God. Sometimes this begins with it being hard to believe God is even there, or maybe we feel that he is there, but we don't believe he cares about our problems. Things go wrong, and we don't understand why they are happening to us. We are faced with challenges that we think we cannot overcome and hurts that we do not think will ever heal. 
We suffer and beg for an answer that we begin to be convinced will never come. On the mission trip to Chattanooga this past summer, I was talking with one of the Widow's Harvest volunteers, and he gave me some good advice. We were talking about how I wanted to do mission work when I get older. He was telling me about all the problems around the world that I will possibly have to face and all the people who aren't going to want to accept my help. Then he told me something that I will never forget. He said, the enemy wants to make you cynical. Don't let that happen. There have been times when I have almost wished I could stop caring so much about the world, stop knowing about all the bad things that happen. I get wearisome of loving so much and trying so hard when many do not care or when you feel like you aren't getting any closer to making a difference. You feel like your actions are in vain, but, think, but I think back to what that man said. The devil wants you to give up. He wants you to become callous and unforgiving and lose your faith. You cannot let that happen. You cannot let the pain and sorrow you witness or experience stop you from doing God's work. You can't lose hope that things will get better. In a movie I, that I really love, Perks of Being a Wallflower, there's a quote that states, Why can't you save anybody? There is so much pain, and I don't know how to not notice it. The thing is, we need to notice it, and we need to understand that we can save others. We can use our, uh, we can use our abilities to help others, whether it be simply smiling at someone or changing the fate of hundreds by curing an illness. Whatever we do, we need to use our talents to serve God's people. But we make mistakes. We don't do the job God has given us. We hurt one another. We sin and draw away from God. The verse that helps me most when I am faced with all of these struggles is Romans 8, 38 through 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither, life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from this love. Nothing. You can make mistakes. You can sin. You can doubt. No matter what happens, he is going to always love you more than you could ever imagine. So that movie, Perks of Being a Wallflower, ends with this. You this quote. We can't choose where we come from, but we can choose where we go from there. There's, not, there's no changing the past, and sometimes we are unable to change our current circumstances. We may have gone through or be going through a lot, but it is never too late for God to change our lives. He isn't going to give up on any of us. How do we, how do we respond to this un undeniable and unending love? We share it. Christians need to be Christians. We need to let people know how much they are loved. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us encourage one another. Everyone needs to know that there is something great planned for them, and they are worth so very, very much to me, to others, and especially to God. Your life was worth God's own life, and that's something that no price value can compete with. Frederick Beekner has said, The grace of God is something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. It is as simple as that. You were given breath, lungs, heart, life. And what's it all about? Life's a party. It's a huge celebration of Jesus and of love and each other's salvation and this beautiful, wonderful world you have been given. So don't waste it. Here's what I try to do every day. I, it's like putting on some sparkling glasses and your favorite pair of shoes. Change how you encounter the world. Try to see it through God's eyes and walk it in the shoes of everyone you meet. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That's how I keep my faith. Everything that I look at. Everything I understand and everything I experience is brought to me by the light of Christ. We have to know that no matter how thick the darkness gets, the li that light is still going to be more powerful. That light is going to guide me and you and everyone, no matter where the unpredictability and chaos of likes takes life takes us. I'm going to... Um, okay, this is my stole from sixth grade confirmation. And I tried to fit in my sermon really hard, but it just didn't work, so I just, I'm going to do this now. Um, <laughs> it's, um, I don't know, it's really important to me, and that's why I kept it for so long, and kept it, tried to keep it nice. But um, I wanted to explain, like, why I made it, I mean, I obviously, like, kind of tried to make a pattern, and just trying to be a little creative. But um, I wanted to say what each of the symbols meant, and um, first of all, um, I just, I love the Ixus, the Jesus fish. And something about, like, how simple it is shows um, how simple God is, and I think that's really beautiful. And then um, the frog, fully rely on God, and I think that's kind of adorable, so it's nice. Um, the cross, I think the cross is really, un really unique. I'm awed by how an icon that was used for such suffering and fear at its time became a symbol for Christ. And I think it shows how Jesus has the power of making terrible things, taking terrible things, and reshaping them into something that's full of grace and full of beauty. And um, then um, 
well, praying is very important because when you have a relationship with someone, you need to talk to them. That's kind of obvious. Um, and then I have the church, but I think it's important to remember, like, not so much, like, the building the church, but, like, we are the church, and we need to have church wherever we go and because um, we are the body of Christ. And then that goes to the next one, the hands and feet. Um, they remind me to use my resources to do God's work. And like I said, we're all the body of Christ, and we need to follow his steps and reach out to others using his hands. And I guess by this example, I just want you all to remember that, like, everything you do um, has a huge impact on everybody else's faith walk, because I know this has been very important to me. Thank you. glorious knowledge that God always has and always will love us, let us stand up and confess what we truly believe using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew, and it beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and it beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Faith Network and our new show, Chopped. Mexican Fiesta edition. Here we have our two chef contestants, and they will be creating their own versions of supreme tacos for our three celebrity judges. Chefs, are you ready? All right. I'll take that as a yes. Chefs, you have a couple seconds. All right. Are you ready? Three, two, one, begin. All right. As you can see, chefs, uh, our judges, our, uh, our contestants are taking different approaches. It looks like Ruthann is choosing the uh, hard taco shell uh, way, while um, Julia is taking the soft shell way. What do you think about that, Isabel? Well, I think the, the hard taco might hold it together, but then it might crumble. Mm. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. What, what, can you make a comment on the foundation of the taco shells? What do you think about that, Kayla? Um, yes, I don't think that using the hard taco shell is a very good idea because it's not a very sturdy foundation. I'm still holding out hope, but I'm not very sure. All right, that's a good point. Do you agree, Kevin? Yes, I do. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. All right, <laughs> chefs, your time is over in three, two, one. Hands up. Very good. All right, it's time to bring our tacos over to our judges and see what they think. Ruth Ann, go ahead and bring your tacos over first. I used the hard shell with beef and cheese. Interesting choice. Judges, go ahead and take a bite. Oh, no. Isabel, can you explain what just happened? It died. It died? Okay, Kayla, can you, can you explain what she means by that? The hard taco shell crumbled and we couldn't even eat it. I'm so disappointed. That, that really makes a difference in a, in a food competition. Uh, Kevin, would you agree that it's because of the, of the weakness of the foundation of the tortilla? Yes. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. All right, um, I'm sorry, Ruthann, but it seems the judges could not even eat your taco. But uh, let's see how that fares against Julia's taco. All right, Julia, please uh, bring your tacos over to the judges. Here I have prepared a soft taco with beef and cheese and lettuce and tomato. Wow, those veggies might make a difference. All right, judges, go ahead and take a bite. Wow, 
Julia, they just ate your tacos in like three bites. That's pretty impressive on this show. Isabel, can you explain the difference between this, ta this taco and the first one you ate? You could actually eat it. Yeah, that, that makes a big difference. Uh, Kayla, why do you think this taco was so much different uh, than Ruth Ann's? Well, I think that it was because of the soft taco. It had a better foundation because it was more flexible and therefore better. Interesting. So, Kevin, would you agree that uh, a taco built on a sturdy foundation is uh, more successful than one built on a less sturdy foundation? Yes. All right, thanks for that, Kevin. All right. Well, this, and now we come to the part of the show where our contestants plug their ears so our judges can uh, decide on a winner. Plug your ears. Plug your ears. All right, judges. Well, who's it going to be? Julia or Ruth Ann? Julia. 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 All right. <laughs> contestants, unplug your ears. It was a tough decision. But after much deliberation, the judges have decided that the winner is Julia. Congratulations, Julia. You win the grand prize of a side hug. It just goes to show, folks that the chef who builds their taco on a strong tortilla does not go hungry. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the world that you have given us. Please help the people who have been harmed by storms and other recent events. Also, Help our soldiers throughout the world. Help their families as long as they, as they long for their loved ones. Thank you for loving all of us. Thank you for our families, friends, and loved ones. Help us through the rest of the year. Please guide us through our lives when we are troubled and when we need someone to help us through our problems. We pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. We would like to welcome those who are worshiping with us today on this youth Sunday. We would like to ask you to sign the friendship pads located at the end of your aisle and pass it along to those seated next to you. To, for 64 years, President sorry, <laughs> Presbyterian Homes of Georgia has helped to care for hundreds of older adults who need some help just to make it through a day. At the heart of the, this vibrant ministry is the Caring ha Hands Foundation. This fund helps to meet the needs of some residents who can no longer afford to pay for their own care. For some retirement plans that once seemed secure and sufficient 20 years ago are no longer able to provide the support they need today. But thanks to the Caring Hands Foundation, this year more than 400 residents will re receive the care they need, assuring them that they will, will never be turned away from the President home. Presbyterian homes, because, because they have outlived their financial re resources. On Mother's Day, May 12th, you and I have the opportunity to support this remarkable ministry through our gifts to the Caring Hands Fund. Our gift will remind over 400 women and men that the people in the church care what happens to them, and I am sure that th that, that will make them very happy. I know it will make me happy. Please give generously. There are many other announcements in the bulletin and on our website, and we encourage you to look at those. We would like to thank and recognize those who have volunteered or supported our youth group this year. If you have been involved with the youth group as a teacher, chaperone, cook, host, or any other way, please stand so we can recognize and thank you. Let us now continue to worship God with the presentation of our tithes and our offerings.
Let us pray. Dear Father, we know that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed a man has planted in his field. That seed is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it is the largest of all gardening plants. Heavenly Father, let us give our gifts to you and let it grow like the mustard seed. In your service, amen.
sing that part again. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross of
Um, all the youth could come and line up with us. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Amen. Did we say that? No? Yeah,